Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Welfare, benefits, or even social security, as some may remember it as, is a big part of the Welsh economy and includes a huge variety of payments, pensions, universal benefits, PIP, housing. In Wales, social security is currently reserved to the UK government, with some exceptions. In Northern Ireland, social security is fully devolved, but parity with the UK government's approach to social security is generally adopted. The Scotland Act 2016 devolved further powers to the Scottish government, including responsibilities for 11 benefits not linked to national insurance contributions. There have been calls to review the social security system in Wales following the devolution of social security in Scotland. And early in May, the Bevan Foundation, with policy and practice, produced a report looking at the feasibility of establishing a Welsh benefit system. Joining us to talk through this report and the wider social security system tonight are Dr. Steph Evans, Head of Policy Brackets Poverty at the Bevan Foundation. Hello, Steph. Hello. Hiya. Uh, we also have Zoe Charlesworth, who has worked in welfare policy for over 30 years and now acts as a consultant to policy and practice on policy issue and leads on policy-based research for PIP. Hello, Zoe. Hi, Matthew. And Jack Rowlands, who is a policy and data analyst at Policy and Practice and has previously worked in the Welsh higher education sector using data to support people on low incomes and in poverty. Hello, Jack. Hi, Matt. Thanks, all of you, for coming on the show tonight to talk to us. But before we start, obviously, uh, regular listeners to the pod may have heard of the Bevan Foundation. And as we were discussing before we started recording, uh, Steph has been on. I think this is his fourth time. But for those uh, of us in Wales who haven't heard of policy and practice before, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about your organisation, sort of where you're from and what kind of work you do? Zoe? Char yeah, very happy to. And Policy and Practice is a social policy organisation that specialises in, in research and data analytics around low income and poverty. So a lot of the work we do is standalone research, a lot touches on data items. I've worked there for many, many years. Jack has joined us recently as a data analyst. Um, so we're interested in the two things we're going to be talking about here, both data and uh, welfare policy. And for the sake of those who haven't heard of the Bevan Foundation, Steph, would you just give us a little overview? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're, we're a think tank based in Wales that looks at long-term solutions to poverty and inequality in Wales. So yeah, this is uh, a field we've been very interested in for quite some time now. So now we know who you are, let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Would one of you be able to set the scene a little bit about where we are with welfare in Wales at the moment? Yeah, um, it might be useful if I give maybe background context and then I'll hand over to Zoe and Jack who have more detail maybe on some 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 of the specifics. But broadly speaking, social security per se is not devolved to Wales. Uh, you know, in fact, kind of you know the Wales Act explicitly reserves it um, to Westminster. But actually, there's there's a whole host of these grants and allowances that are means tested that are essentially benefits in any other name and um, that are. Uh, operated or administered, governed by the Welsh government or by Welsh local authorities. Things like free school meals, you know, your eligibility for that in secondary school is still going to be limited around your income. Council tax reduction scheme is another one. But historically, we haven't thought of these as connected to each other. That's partly a legacy maybe of how those powers came to Wales in the first place. So actually, they've been really quite disparate. They've been quite, um, they haven't really worked collectively as a system. So this work really is kind of designed to try and pull that together to make it a much more cohesive system, easier for people to access, um, but also kind of lays a space for us to have a more sensible discussion, I think, as well, about where, um, our, our, how, how we operate in kind of um, in the poverty sphere in Wales and, and around benefits as well. Just to add to what Stefan was saying, that actually part of the issue is that the leg legacy to this is that in England, um, most of these devolved powers that come within the Barnett formula and aren't, aren't within mean means-tested benefit sit with local authorities. They're all different within England. So in Wales, they've taken a cross-country approach. It's a country, a national approach to each of them. But they haven't been joined up um, because they, they are historically disparate. And so we've now got Wales has inherited this disparate lot of benefits, made its own benefits. And so we've got all sorts of benefits that don't connect at all. Jack, was there anything else you want to add there? Yeah, sure. So I think kind of I was thinking what other kind of reports recently have come out that might give people a profile of, of the Welsh benefit system beyond what we've written. Um, I suppose we, we're looking very specifically at future change within the system, but 
I think probably the, the Welsh Fitters Committee report maybe gives people an insight into just some of those demographic issues that apply to Wales that when we're looking at what kind of potential impacts um, increased spending on benefits might have in Wales, where that cost may come. You uh, look at the average age in Wales being um, the oldest out of the nations, one of the oldest of, of all regions, the percentage of disabled people in Wales or economic inactivity. So I think it's, yeah, hopefully this report kind of fills out um, why specific policies may be needed in Wales that wouldn't necessarily apply in England. Things like the rural nature of Wales as well in terms of the impact of sanctions and yeah, the benefit system doesn't always work for people quite so easily if they're in a rural community. I'm, I'm coming in now, so thanks again for joining us, all of you. As well as that um, uh, committee report you mentioned, Jack, one of the things when I was uh, preparing for tonight, the Welsh Centre for Public Policy had done a bit of work on that, so any listeners who do want to get a little bit more, as well as your report, there is there is some good stuff out there. One of the things I'm quite interested in, that scene setting, and one of the things we look at in the pod quite regularly is the economy. Like, could one of you just give us that? Don't like to, people don't like to talk about money, do they? But when we add all this up, this UK government welfare benefits payments across all the kind of areas, what, what kind of figures are we looking at in Wales? I can give you an overall figure in that the work, the English um the UK government publishes figures that combine health um, we, um welfare. Um, under their social protection, under the category social protection. And in Wales, the per capita is £5,200, and compared to England at £4,400, so 20% higher in Wales. Jack has some really interesting figures that break down the differences in benefits between the nations. I don't know if you've got any of those that you can talk about immediately, Jack. Yeah, sure. I think, um, I mean, probably a an intro to this to show the lack of data on this um probably the best report was the ifg um report in 2018 but obviously pandemic has happened uc rollout things like that have taken place so those figures are, are probably changing still but yeah it shows wales with the second highest sort of benefit spend behind northern ireland but probably if you looked at the demographic change in the two wales is probably getting older northern ireland younger so there's probably a direction of travel there and yeah so they've they break down the 2013 spend instead as a way of trying to estimate that. So, um, yeah, there's a clear kind of direction there that Wales has the largest per capita share of old age benefits, second highest on sickness and disability benefits, but 50% higher than in England. And it's only really housing benefit that's lower in Wales, where at least in the past rents were lower, but obviously that that's probably changed in the last five years as well. So, um, yeah, that, that's a good kind of profile of the, the previous position, I think. Yeah, and to maybe add a bit of Welsh context as well. So when, you know, we've been interested in this area on, on Welsh benefits for a while, um, and we did some calculations just before the pandemic that estimated that all these different schemes that the Welsh government ran, you know, the total spent was about 400 million um, at the time, which was more than was being spent on job seekers allowance and the work element of universal credit in Wales combined. So, you know, it's a substantial chunk of cash that the Welsh government has got control of here, let alone then, um, as Owen Jack have drawn attention to the fact that benefit spending in Wales is very, very high in relation to the rest of the UK as well. Now, this this is my stupidity coming forward because I'm just trying to get an idea of what the kind of input into the Welsh economy financially is. So, Steph, I'm going to come back to you on that 400 million in a moment because I think that you said that that's what Welsh government put in, yeah? So the UK government input, I, I just I think, Zoe, you mentioned it was something like just over 5,000 ahead in Wales. So just like a rough, you know, working of uh, a rough rule of thumb, Three million people, five thousand. That's, I'm, I'm just. I did look at it on the calculator. I think it's you know over a billion, one and a half billion or so. That's what we're looking at from the UK government in terms of welfare into Wales through what they've still got responsibility for. Is that around the right place? I think so, but I think you've got to remember that that's health and welfare, that's social protection, that isn't just welfare spend. That five thousand was health and welfare wrapped up together. Yeah, no, I just think a lot of what we do on the pod, independence and Welsh economy comes comes up a lot. So it's useful to know where um, funding or money from the UK government, which isn't often captured, comes in, come in at. So just getting that kind of position, I've got to work that out again later. So <laughs> sorry about that. 
So, Steph, I wanted to come back to what you came up on then. The report does mention that alongside those UK government systems, Welsh government, local authorities in Wales have a, their own system of benefits, grants and allowances. Can you go into a bit more detail on those? You just mentioned that 400 million figure, which is substantial, but you know what, what do those make up of? Yeah, so I, I think you can broadly categorise them into two groups. So you've got kind of discretionary and rights-based benefits. So maybe start with discretionary because the focus of the work we've been doing with policy and practice has been very much on the rights-based ones. So the discretionary ones are things like the discretionary assistance fund. So that's a emergency scheme that um, provides either cash or kind of goods in kind to people in, in crisis. Um, so I think for Welsh Government, the, lens kind of, um, the average payment is going to be about £100 going forward into the next um, financial year. You're allowed to claim about three of those in a year. So that's for people in acute financial hardship. There's kind of those discretionary schemes. They've got some powers over discretionary housing payment as well. So that's, again, crisis housing funding where they've got powers to top up local authorities, administer those. So you've got sort of discretionary pots of cash where a lot of money is spent but they're quite hard to bring into a single system without, you know, where you're trying to ease that ap application because they're discretionary and therefore it's up to the person making that assessment, you know, whether someone's eligible for that or not. So the rights-based schemes are probably the kind of the easiest place to start if you wanted to make the system a bit more rational. And um, so we've got kind of things like preschool meals. Historically, that would have been all children. Now it's uh, in secondary school or will be in secondary school. Council tax reduction scheme, so that's either a full discount on your council tax or a partial discount on your council tax. Again, these are income-based or tied to if you claim another benefit. So there's about, I think for the focus um, purposes of this work, we picked focused on about six six of those benefits where there's kind of these rights to them. So if you, if you satisfy this criteria, you can receive X. So you've got those half dozen benefits, and that's where the focus of the work has been, because we think those are the easiest ones to align, because, you know, in theory, you know, you, you should be able to kind of chart a process where you, you're able to identify who gets what in, in that situation. So there's these two broad groups, and, and we have seen the amount of money put in by Welsh Government increase um, into them as COVID has uh, progressed and as the cost of living has progressed as well. So I think kind of their importance in Wales has become greater for the people on the lowest incomes as well over time. Zoe, Jack, do you want to add anything on, uh, you know, what you found looking at Wales? Yeah, so um, it was just to come in kind of on the specific costings. I won't go through each value because there's sort of very minute details there, but sort of the two biggest funds of, of the rights-based benefits that we looked at on spending terms were accounts tax reduction and education maintenance allowance. So obviously EMA um, increasing, I think, now to be the highest in, in the UK as well. So they're kind of the big two and any increase in take up would probably cost more in those schemes things like um free school meals um we only model the secondary cost where we've got um universal preschool meals in wales so that's obviously now separate but things like welsh government learning grant those are much smaller schemes so take up will affect the government's uh, financial position less if, if take up increases for those just to add that those um, rights-based um, benefits in Wales still add up to a substantial amount. I mean, altogether, they're 250 million at the moment, let alone additional take-up if the Welsh Government and Welsh Councils were to move to a more um, uniform system. I want to pick up, I'm going off script again, Matt hates this. Just talk us through that kind of like more uniform system. Is the dis differences between the local authorities that great that we, we should be looking at bringing those things together. It's not really the difference between um, the local authorities. It's it's the complexity of the system. Having all sorts of different applications for different benefits, um, for different circumstances, perhaps at different times in um, somebody's life. And the complexity of it means that people often miss out on claiming all the benefits support to which they're entitled. During this analysis, we actually looked at what would happen if they were all brought together, so one application, um, people basically got all the benefits to which they're entitled. Um, and we, we worked out how much additionally it would then cost the, you know, the Welsh Government local authorities if that was to happen. Uh, there is There will be a lot of missing out on entitlements at the moment purely because of the complexity of the system. Do you think that that complexity really kind of puts an added pressure for you know, those most vulnerable in Welsh society to access some of these supporting schemes? 
Yeah, I think that there's a really good terminology that the Citizens Advice recently, a uh, recent report by Citizens Advice used to cover this, and they used they said it was cognitive bandwidth. Um, working in the frontline welfare um, benefits myself, the number of people who are just overwhelmed, they're dealing with debt, they're dealing with low income, they could be dealing with um, enforcement agencies, they're dealing with the rising costs of living, and then to actually try to suggest that they have to put in four or five applications with the same evidence each time, it's very hard for people to actually remember what they've applied for or what they haven't applied for. And the terminology within benefits can confuse people as well. I mean, Stefan was um, talking earlier about council tax discounts. Well, local authorities would count dis the word discount to mean one of the discounts you get because of your circumstances, like severe mental impairment or something like that, or a, a person living alone. They would call it council tax reduction. How many members of the public know that difference? So people don't, even if they understand the names of these benefits, they don't actually know what they're going to cover. And that complexity just means a lot of people choose just to not engage at all. Steph, is there a recognition within Welsh Government that this system is confusing and complicated? And what kind of steps have they taken to, to deal with that? So I think we've seen pretty major progress, I think, um, over recent years. So when we started looking at this, so not long after I joined the Bevan Foundation in 2018, this was one of the first projects I, I got involved with, really. Um, and at the time, it, there probably wasn't an awareness that kind of how these schemes might interlink with each other, let alone kind of what we could do about it. The then Assembly's Housing and Local Government Committee, under the chairmanship of John Griffiths, did flag this as something that could be looked at back, I, I think that was in tail end of 2018, but that was very much the early stages of this. We have seen now increased political support from all parties in the Senev. We've seen more and more Senate committee inquiries making recommendations around this. So, you know, we've seen inquiries on the cost of living, referencing this as something that should be done. And we have seen increased interest from the Welsh government in it as well. I think the focus to date has been on, and there's some consultation with stakeholders going on at the moment, on what we call a charter, a Welsh benefits charter. So that's very much kind of bringing the principles of what such a system would look like. I think there's now a desire from all parties to really move forward next and try and put this into practice. I think what really highlights that is that to kind of um, get the finances together for this work from policy and practice, you know, there was a coalition of 10 organisations involved and it was as diverse as trade unions, um, local government, poverty charities. So we saw a real diverse group of people getting involved and being interested in the technical part of this work now because I think there's, there's a real desire to, okay, we've recognised that this thing could exist. How do we go about making it happen? Has there been any sort of response from the UK government in relation to this uh, policy move from Welsh government? Because obviously sometimes they don't really like the Welsh government operating in areas that aren't quote-unquote devolved. So we've seen kind of recommendations from the Welsh Affairs Committee, already heard about kind of around some of this. I think kind of broadly speaking, these are kind of broadly, clearly devolved, both as bits in each of have got a messy relationship. And it's that messy relationship, I guess, is the challenge. So that's one of the things that Zoe and Jack draw out in the report, actually, is around data sharing from the UK government, from DWP. You know, that might be one of the things that would free up kind of access to a lot of these schemes is better sharing of data between DWP and Welsh local authorities. And those are the areas where there's probably more to be done in terms of that relationship between Wales and the UK government. If we can go uh, drill down into the data and the, the research a little bit in the report, would you be able to outline what the research set out in this report examines and analyzes? We've looked at the data capture of all the Welsh rights-based benefits. First of all, to see if they map against each other, because uh, the reason for that is that if you're asking somebody for information for one benefit, could that data and that information be easily shared and used for another benefit? We then mapped all those benefits, the data required for the Welsh rights-based benefits, against the largest um, data share that um, local authorities in Wales received, which is the data share of people who are on universal credit who want to claim council tax reduction. And that's shared by the DWP for councils to use to administer their council tax reduction and some of their discretionary schemes. And local authorities, there are wider uses for homelessness reduction and it could be used for benefit take up. But we wanted to map it to see if it was worthwhile for the Welsh Government to make representations for the greater use of that data um, to inform the eligibility to um, rights-based benefits. 
We also analysed um, the administration of the current benefits, who was responsible for the administration, how people applied, how much verification was needed, how documents were verified, so that we could see how, how these benefits fitted together and if there was any simple, easy, straightforward option of just joining them together. Jack, was there anything else you want to add in there? No, other than to say, I think this kind of an ongoing conversation across the UK that lots of organisations, um, lots of local authorities um, are looking at how they can leverage what DWP and HMRC and others have to enable better delivery of these schemes. And we've seen Scotland with devolution of benefits there tackle some of the the system, but they've faced similar issues around developing their own IT systems. They have to try to also negotiate with DWP for these, these sorts of um, abilities to, to do this kind of take-up work. Before we move on, I just want to, building on that, Jack, Steph, Zoe, have you heard much about the Scottish experience of their partial devolution of welfare? And is, are there any particular lessons we can learn from that? I think it's still a work in progress is the sense I get from speaking to colleagues. I am in no way an expert on what's going on in Scotland. So um, so there's certainly a sense that there's some parts of it that are, are working. Others, I think, you know, around the financing, that's always a challenge kind of around how, how, how the financing of, of, of devolution works. Um, I know there was some work done by the Wales Governance Centre, actually, um, at Cardiff University. I think just before COVID, that looked at, you know, if you were to devolve similar powers to Wales, how would the financing of that need to be kind of structured so that Welsh government's budget didn't get increasingly eaten up by by funding these schemes that had previously been funded by the UK government. So I think I think there are some challenges around that, but it's also given them the power to be looking at stuff like the Scottish child payment, which is going to make a significant difference to a lot of people um, in terms of their their financial position. So so I think mix seems to be the feedback I'm getting, but as I said, I am not an expert at all uh, in terms of the effectiveness of that system. I, we've talked a little uh, a little bit around data, and I, I don't want it to suggest that it's the geeky bit of it, Jack. Um, but what do the organisations who are holding this data in Wales have, and how is it currently held? Is it Are we in a good place? Because data is incredibly important for these type of issues, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let Zoe maybe elaborate beyond what I offer. But um, yeah, I think what I see day-to-day -day working with local authorities is the numerous data sets and the fact that actually joining them and building a profile of households isn't actually at least, I mean, you can't know what goes on in organizations that you don't work with, but they're complex data sets. They're not necessarily obvious what each element represents from a layperson's point of view. There's complexity for the data and administrative staff that work with them. And it would probably require a very organized local authority to try to bring that data together and get a good profile from council tax data, from housing benefit data, and from universal credit. So that's what we try to help with. But I think the system as it is, is very complicated. And, and the rollout of UC has probably implications for that in the future as well. Yeah, I think that across the rights-based benefits in Wales, the issue is, is that we have different administ uh, administrative organisations. So we've got the NHS, education, local authorities, all doing the administration of individual benefits. Each of the, the data they hold, they're hold, they're collecting the data that's specific to that benefit. Now, there'll be there'll be overlaps like names, addresses, things like this, household composition. In general, they're just collecting the data for that benefit, and they're all held on separate databases. That doesn't mean that eventually those databases, if the um, data data governance permissions are there, cannot be merged and aggregated into a single one. But as Jack was saying, we've seen in local authorities that merging data just within a local authority to get a holistic view of people can be difficult. Some local authorities have got done this, they've moved very far with this, and they've done, they have developed holistic views across all their local authority systems. But it takes time, it takes a lot of um, commitment from those involved. If it seems to me that if there is the commitment in, in Wales to aggregate these data data sets, it can be done. But of course, you can move forward with a Welsh benefit system without the aggregation of the databases. It's not a necessary part of it, or certainly not a starting point. What I found interesting as well from the from the work policy practice has done for us here as well is 
is about kind of the role of maybe date and verification as well. That's that's another thing that we've touched on. So, you know, how sometimes we ask people for information that we already hold and actually we don't necessarily kind of trust what people tell us and therefore we go and check it. So if you're gonna go and check it, why are we bothering asking for it in the first bit? You know, there's kind of being a lot smarter about using what we've got as well, I think. Um it is another um clear message that's come through. And I think it also might raise questions in, in time for Bashkoman about, you know, if one of the reasons we've got difficulty matching data sets at the moment is because each have got different eligibility criteria with different bodies organizing them, could there be an opportunity here to revisit some of the eligibility criteria again to make that make them a bit more aligned anyway? You know, those might be questions that in time you'd want to explore, but that doesn't stop us cracking on and making it much easier for people in, 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 in the meantime. I, I just I just had an awful lot of data at the moment with in my professional hat on on the health sector and how data sets across borders and not just England Wales but between health boards is problematic. So it's not refreshing to hear that it's the same elsewhere, but it's uh, perhaps frustrating that it's the same in this kind of area. But one of the things we're looking at then is you know Wales moving towards that kind of central database with a, a one stop portal. You know, are there? I think we can see that there's advantages in that. Like if you can explore those, but there's disadvantages as well. Are there? What 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 would we be looking at for an ideal system in Wales? What's the pros and cons? Yeah, I think there are a lot of advantages. I mean, I think there's more advantages than um, uh, disadvantages of this. I mean, for, for, certainly for the households, the advantages are in ensuring maximizing income and ensuring people get all the benefits to which they're entitled and also reducing any uh, mental health issues, you know, reducing debt. There's there's so much benefit to the house to households in doing this that I think that's probably overrides everything else. But we've got to remember there are also benefits to um, administ um, administrative organisations in that if you've got two or three organisations all checking passports, all checking for birth certificates, all asking for the same data, there's a lot of time spent there. So savings can be made by those organisations if these are all sort of combined, or at least if verification is combined. The disadvantage is, it's really the implementation costs and actually getting everybody in the same room, who's, who's all the stakeholders, all the local authorities, getting everybody to agree what they want this to look like and getting everybody to work towards, you know, towards the same outcome. I, I feel that this is actually just a lot of effort initially, that may present quite a substantial barrier. I mean, Stefan's probably got more thoughts on that, but it, I can't really see any other downside. I might be missing something. I think Wales definitely have a, a good committee or task force to sort this out. Steph? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that we're really pleased about the report does is it identifies the short-term stuff, you know, the stuff you can do quite quickly. And we don't see any reason why, you know, we need to be hanging around with some of us. You know, we can start the process of it, uh, getting them into place. Then there's these kind of maybe longer term stuff like bringing together that kind of that portal, that form that people can have. You know, there are complications around it, as Obi mentioned. Um, but that's why we'd be keen actually to see that process start now as well. You know, kind of, um, as you mentioned, Kerry, we do love a task force in Wales. But this might be one of those areas where something like that would be quite a sensible idea if we started it early enough and that it had kind of an end point and it was doing it for a purpose because that's a space to get everyone together. We can bot it out. So things like we've heard previously about, you know, kind of IT software systems, you know, each local authority might end have entered into a separate agreement with a provider. So, you know, we might need all of them, you know, how much would it cost to buy them out of that system or, you know, how long would it take? So the thing we obviously don't want to be doing is if we've got two local authorities whose contract come to an end at the end of this financial year, we don't want them entering into 10-year agreements um, if, you know, if, if the longest one we've currently got ends in seven years' time or something like that, you know, so actually starting that process of working out who's doing what, where are we at this, allows us maybe to move towards that end goal, but kind of in a way that allows us to give everyone a buy-in into that process as well. Thinking of that and just sort of stretching the report out a little bit now, if you were designing a, the the, the system that eventually came after, say, the devolution of the administration of social security. What sort of outcomes would you be looking from that process and that project? It, it depends if you're talking about devolving all benefits or just the right, rights-based ones. Um, if you're looking at the, the ones that we're, we've been looking at in this report, just the right-based ones, you're looking at ease of access, 
supporting the residents, supporting the Welsh citizen, um, and ensuring there's um, it's cost effective in the administration. That that's mostly what we focus on. If I can go a bit wider, if you're looking at benefits in the long term, in the you know, if you're looking at a further devolved system, I think starting from scratch is just a wonderful position to be in. Because to be able to set a purpose of intent of a benefit system, to be able to set principles behind it, in a way almost like the Scottish government has done, even though they're only partially devolved powers there at the moment. I think it's a really great place to start. I'm, within the UK, they're looking at setting a purpose. What is a purpose now? What are the principles behind benefits now? But to do that on an already existing system is a much, much harder way to work a benefit system. And I, I think to start discussions on, on where Wales wants to be, what they want their benefits to be for, and what principles they want to adhere to in the administration of those benefits, it's just a great place to start, really. Just to add to that, I think a lot of the principles that have been discussed, kind of some of this touching on what might be in the Charter when it finally kind of comes out public discussion, as Zoe mentioned, some of the stuff we've seen in Scotland, I think provide a really good starting point for what, what we'd want to see. So, you know, kind of making it, um, you know, treating everyone with dignity and respect uh, as, as they interact with the system. We know, actually, when we've done work kind of with people with lived experience of the system, that features almost as importantly that they've been treated well as the actual outcome in terms of how much money they have in their pocket in terms of their actual experience you know things like viewing benefits as a public service you know so shifting that focus away from something that you know moving that stigma on as well these are the sort of things that um i think we'd all want to see if we want to have a benefit system work for people um, and and i think that probably it does align with where the welsh government wants to be going as well um, on this so what would be great to see is having those principles embedded and then following through and acting on that because I guess, you know, we have a long and proud record in Wales of coming up with really good principles in a variety of policy areas and not necessarily, you know, implementing then the policy that would follow on to to deliver those principles. Jack, did you have anything to add there? Um, obviously, you have a, a difference between the long-term aim and, and what you hope to achieve in, in the near term. And I think probably some of this is around looking at the rollout of UC around the current sanction system and how can you maybe help current organizations manage the current problem that they're dealing with if energy bills are continuing to to stay high how can the system currently cope and then there's probably a separate discussion around what does the future system look like um and the balance of reinventing the wheel versus having your own system do you try to lend on what scotland or others have done possibly there, there are efficiencies to be made there if you learn from others who have who have built a system themselves and encounter some of these issues so let's let's build on that then jack what what about the current system do you think makes achieving these outcomes difficult um well i i'll start with maybe what what makes it easy is is having the this common universal um council tax uh scheme which does mean that every local authority has um a common profile there so that's already a good point to start what makes it difficult is probably things like resource geography how you help one council do the same thing as another when Cardiff Council might have a good urban profile and a good ability to deliver something um, high tech but how do you ensure that all councils deliver the same level of um, service and have the same outcomes so yeah probably looking at the disparities within Wales we say that Wales has an old population but it has a very young population in some areas so yeah probably the difficulty is how do you how do you get a common outcome for people and not just one that works in some areas may may not work in others. Yeah, I mean, I, like, like Jack, I'd like to say what is easy at the moment. Wales is in a very good place to do this at the moment, to be honest. You've got a lot of your regulations are set, you know, these right-based ones are set by your Welsh government. They can change the regulations to make them more uniform. Um, they can change your council tax regulations to make them more um, accessible. You're, you're in a very good place to start this. Similarly, universal credit data, bringing a lot of it um, data on uh, low-income population in one place. There may be difficulties at the moment in the Welsh government, certainly, and local authorities accessing the level of data and the amount of data they want. But that's all. There are discussions going on with DWP, so that could change. I just think that this is probably the time to do it, merely because Welsh government is making a lot of these decisions themselves anyway. So I think you're in a really good place to start. And a lot of you have a lot of data on for each of these schemes on low-income households that could perhaps just inform. Um, eligibility to other 
other benefits um, as starting place. What I see as the most difficult hurdle is I'll go back to that cost of implementation. It's it's always large. At the moment, there are so many pressures on councils, um, Welsh government, governments, the public sector as a whole, um, in terms of inflationary pressures, but also um, they, they are having real problems in just keeping people's heads above water. And um, uh, taking on a, a big project is, al- is always going to be um, costly. It's always going to take a lot of resources. But then if, it, if you look at the hurdles now and you stop that doing it, there will be other hurdles in the future. So I'm not sure that's a good enough reason to not move forward. Steph, is there anything about the UK system that makes getting the same sort of qualitative outcome difficult? So I think, you know, there's there's always conversations isn't there about the adequacy of the uk social security system and i think you know there's 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 an element of political choice you know in terms of you know we have seen real terms cuts to benefit spending so in a way no matter what you do with a system if if the amount of money you put into it in real terms reduces that is going to put extra squeezes on people you know things like the sanction system you know those are going to have a really difficult effect on people and those are political choices so you know you can choose to do those or or, or not in the same way as well i i i guess thinking about the welsh system about kind of there's also some really low-hanging fruit around kind of culture and stuff maybe as well potentially so um so by providing things like guidance so that we don't allow poor cultures to kind of replicate themselves and so you know we often look up uk government about the culture of setting up benefits that are difficult for people to access but a case that always kind of stays with me was when we started our work on this first of all one of the first benefits we looked at back in 2019 was the pupil development grant access so it's just been renamed the school's essentials grant so essentials grant so school uniform basically supposed school uniform and there was one local authority in wales that required any parents who wanted support through that to send in receipts of every single item of school uniform that they'd bought before they'd send that money out. And essentially the reason we were told was, well, it wasn't very clear to us whether we'd be audited on um, how we'd allocated that money. So we have a really efficient risk department and therefore they decided that, no, we're not taking any chances. So there's that sort of embedded culture, I think, that you know, kind of is certainly still about a UK level, but it's also still here at Welsh level when some of our local authorities and some of our public institutions. So it's about, is there easy ways to provide guidance, for example, to make sure that those cultures don't get to get passed on to the next generation, maybe a staff working in some of those spaces, to move us away towards the direction we want to go, rather than continuing some of that kind of people are here to kind of steal money from us. They're not, you know, rather kind of rather than the mindset we'd like to see. We've explored there's there's fiscal issues uh, with the changes, but. In the report, have we come across anything which is on the the legal side of things? That, uh, any changes that will be needed to to make these things happen in Wales? I think we've we've highlighted a few areas, some of them that could be achieved now. Um, legislative changes within the power of the Welsh government, where there's devolved powers, certainly around council tax reduction, that could just make the application process um, less of a postcode lottery and make sure all local authorities are acting the same. So we, we, we've indicated that that could be sort of implemented in the short term. Longer term, there's, there are certainly data, um, there's uh, data governance, data protection issues. Um, the universal credit data is shared with local authorities for a specific uh, purpose. You could either ask that on the universal credit application, there's um, an indication that people also want to claim Welsh benefits, or you could start looking at introduce the Welsh government could start discussions with the DWP around additional gateways, and that would require um, legislation. So there are legislative issues, um, but none of them are particularly large enough for it to be a serious barrier. But certainly, things some of them would require um, ongoing discussions. And I know Scotland's having these discussions as well, so it wouldn't be the Welsh government alone having them. I think there's something as well building on that kind of guidance point I made earlier as well about where there's a lack of clarity about what local authorities are allowed and not allowed to do legally as well. So that you're depending really on kind of risk appetite, maybe of particular individuals about whether they want to share that data or not. So there's stuff around that where we could even without changing the legislation, if we could make it clear to people that no, you are allowed to do this thing that might have seemed a bit risky previously, um, you know, that, 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 that could smooth away as we waited for some of those legislative changes as well. This is where we get a little bit um, off script completely because 
There was some stuff in the Senate today, which I think we, we have to mention tonight, because we've talked about council tax and exemptions and reductions. And there was a statement in the Senate uh, around the current consultation. And it might be far too soon for you to, to comment on this. And if you're not in Wales, you might have missed it. But Steph, did you pick up any of that today on what that might mean? Or is it too soon? I don't want to throw you a curveball, but I, I have very briefly seen, yes, this is about the revaluation, yes, of uh, yeah. council tax. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, well, you know, kind of, it also presents an opportunity to to have some of these changes. So, you know, if we're going to be pushing up some people's council tax, as is inevitable with any council tax revaluation, you know, I think the Welsh government themselves said that there'd be winners and losers, I think is the coverage I've seen of it. So if you're going to have losers, then you need to make sure that things like the council tax reduction scheme is there to help those people who are losers, to use the Welsh government's own terminology, to get the support that they're entitled to. So I think, if anything, it makes the need to be tidying the system up even greater. Um, and, and it presents an opportunity, because if we're going to be pushing these changes through, then it might be an opportunity to be pushing through some of the other changes around the, the support side through at the same time. Matt, you've been in the bay today. What what, what can you feed in? Yeah, yes, essentially, Rebecca Evans uh, gave a statement to the Senate today talking about uh, you know, both uh, council tax and non-domestic rates reform. As Steph said, you know, some winners, some losers, especially on the council tax side, the Welsh government estimate that if they kept the existing nine bans, about 25% of people would see their council tax go up, 26% would see it go down, and 49% would basically stay where they are. But also one of the interesting developments is that uh, by the work that the Welsh government are doing in through their cooperation agreement with Plaid Cymru, is that they want to see eventually a move to, or at least an assessment of whether Wales can move to a land value tax. Has anyone looked into land value tax and what kind of impact that might have, you know, for for, for more vulnerable people in our society? You know, for example, Mike Hedges brought it up today, you know, a land value tax is all well and good. But if you have, say, if you live in social housing, for example, in a very affluent part of a city, that could hit you more negatively than the current existing tax uh, council tax scheme. So, Steph, have you looked into this at all? We haven't done uh, a huge amount in detail on land value tax. I know that, um, you know, through work we've done in the past, that, you know, we know the council tax system is particularly regressive in Wales, but it is highest at the moment in some of the poorest areas in Wales. So, you know, certainly there's a need and an appetite to reform the current system. Um, but kind of, as you said, if you go in for a system that still goes on the value of land, that in itself doesn't necessarily resolve some of those issues as well. So, so you know, the devil will be in the detail of whatever comes out. I know Welsh government have done some work in the fairly recent past looking at what essentially kind of was like a localized income tax was wasn't it i think and so kind of whether you know how complex that would be but whether there would be a way of combining the two to have something that was a bit more representative we'll see but yes i i, I imagine there's a reason they've gone for revaluation first rather than anything a bit more more difficult and complex one area which i think is a little bit more embedded in wales now uh and known about and it is in that kind of wider welfare benefits area is the universal basic income trial wales is working on i i, I see it more as a a really good income support for care leavers and a kind of general ubi trial but zoe jack with your with your experience in welfare and wider field have you got any thoughts on that you know, whatever kind of scheme it is, I think it is really admirable for Welsh Government to be doing it. Have you got any thoughts on where we are with that? I think it's absolutely great. And I think going alongside um, the exemption um, from council tax for care leavers, um, and that was two-staged. It was first single care leavers, but then it um, there was a further exemption added for care leavers who were jointly and severally liable for council tax. So that's provided them with so much exemption from quite a high charge. And then to provide this income. I think it's going to be very interesting to, to look at how it interacts with the benefit system. Um, and although this is only about, I think it's a few hundred people, isn't it, um, over two years, I think that that interaction is actually going to be interesting. I've, I've read a lot of um, reports saying that this is not representative enough to, to actually extrapolate any um, results into does UBI work. But I think it would be interesting to see how many of those people lost the majority because of the um, marginal tax rates 
it, it's interesting. I'm really, I think for each care lever, this will be huge, uh, make a big difference in terms of how much it will inform universal, um, all the discussions around UBI. I think that interaction will be interesting. And because Wales has done it, yeah, it's going to be the first results out there that we can look at and actually see if it, 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 it makes a big difference. But I think it's the interaction certainly around the marginal tax rates that I'll be most interested in. Yeah, I, I think I'd probably just echo what, what Zoe said. And I think it just reflects that probably nationally, the DWP is focusing very much on work and how you can help people with employability. But for obviously different demographic reasons in different areas, that doesn't always work. Or if, if it does, it won't happen overnight. Um, if you've got people in debt or if you've got people with immediate costs or have a sense that increasing their income won't be worth the time that they have to put in, something like this may give people a platform to at least get their head above water and then take the position to go into work where probably the national approach at the moment is to just make people see a job coach, make people subject to conditionality. And without the sort of carrot and stick approach, if you don't give people an incentive, if you don't show people that it's actually beneficial for them to to work and give them the ability to get that headspace first, then yeah, it, it's not going to work if you, if you just expect people to apply for a job. I've been, I've been reading a lot today about AI and what the the chap who's leaving Google is saying, but you know, some of where AI could be going, UBI should definitely be in policymakers' uh, minds at the moment. Steph, I'm, I'm not sure if Bevan Foundation is involved in the UBI trial or working group, but I'm sure you've got some thoughts on that. Yeah, so we haven't done an awful lot on UBI per se. Um, I think as the as the conversation um, I said, you know, kind of extra support to care leavers, I think is something really, really positive. I think kind of one of the challenges I think we'll need to interact with, you know, if we want to move more in this direction is kind of how do you kind of ensure that you don't bake in inequalities by having a flat rate, which is what I guess some of the proposals have been. So the example I always give is that, you know, the rent on a one bed flat is the same, whether you're two people or one per one person. So how would you have a rate that took that into account, for example? Um, and then if you did have to, introduce kind of some sort of tests in the back end to decide the value of UBI um, for um, disabled people, for example, then why can't we introduce more progressive kind of tests into the current system we've got through the, through the benefit system? So there's those sorts of questions, actually, I think that are, are really, really important that if this is the space that we want to head towards, then we'll have to engage with those questions in greater detail. But I think the focus on adequacy and the kind of the failures of the current system, I think are really, really useful that we have in those. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence really as well that um, we're seeing more campaigning at a UK level about the adequacy of the benefit system more generally. So um, some, some, some of your um, listeners might have um, seen that Joseph Browntree Foundation and the Trussell Trust are currently running a campaign on for uh, essentials guarantee within universal credit. Um, so that, that, that opens it up interesting conversations about kind of what is the value that we all need to survive on. So I think, um, so I think it, there's lots of interesting conversations certainly going on in that space at the moment. I want to just say thank you so much for all of you for coming on uh, the show this evening. But before we go over one nice, uh, broad, not at all difficult or challenging question. Um, so, Jack, where do you see the future uh, on benefit payments? You know, not just in Wales, but in you know the whole UK. Um, in Wales, we like to talk about progressive universalism all the time. But do you think there's ever a chance of seeing a any degree of universalism in the uh, UK benefit system? Um, I think probably. What, what what the report probably picks up is that this is still a national problem that is very dependent on UK government policy. And until that moves, it's probably difficult to to change the system fully. But yeah, I think, I mean, I think I'm probably a bit depressed after Kerry's comment about AI. <laughs> um, I think there is a there is an argument that actually does the benefit system need to stop focusing on work entirely if 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 that um if that's our future. So <laughs> It's it's a positive future, Jack. AI is going to take away the drudgery, and we're going to have more leisure time. That that's what our governments and our unions are fighting for, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, because that's usually the way that automation works with people. Thank you very much, Kerry. Zoe, Steph, did you have any uh, end comments on the sort of future of the welfare system? I think at the moment, all sorts of organisations are creating documents setting out the future for the welfare system because I think some sense that there may be a change of government um, uh, in, in at Westminster um, in the foreseeable future. 
and also it's become very um very obvious with the cost of living crisis so, um, that some of the levels at the moment are inadequate so there has been a lot of um a lot of work from a lot of organizations on this i think the that I would agree with the majority of them that universal credit mechanism is probably going to be the basis for immediate overcoming of problems, immediate change, merely because it's there. It can be made to work a lot better. Um, rates can, can be um, amended to uh, um, reflect a greater range of circumstances. Anything like a universal um, system, I think is going to be really tricky in the UK, given the housing costs and given the different regional housing costs. That's not to say it can't necessarily be a basis at some point, but I think you would always find it's a basis with other things on top around disability housing, et cetera. And what I would personally like to see is that there was enough joined up data that eventually um, your income, which HMRC, let's be honest, knows anyway, your income and your circumstances and HMRC, you know, the, the government does have this data on most households, automatically is topped up each month for people who need it. No application, very, very clever. I might be coming back to Kerry's AI point. I don't I don't want to go that far. I hate the idea of that, but I do like the idea of people getting what they're entitled to without having to apply. Steph, the final word to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I think building on Zoe's point there, and I think and coming back to the kind of purpose of this work, I think I think there's the two questions need to move hand in hand. So the value and the access. Having a really generous system that's really difficult for people to access isn't necessarily much better than a system that's easy to access but isn't generous enough. So I think, and I think what I hope that this work really does is to focus minds and wills around the things that we've got control over in this space around the access. And that, that leads the way for us to have in these broader conversations maybe in time because we've got the basis then for, for, for to, to add bits into that system. Fab. Thank you all so much for coming on the show this evening. If people want to hear more from you, where can they go and find you on Twitter, Steph? Um, I'm Steph H. Evans. Jack? I'm Jack Rowe H. Fab. Zoe? Zoe Charles Wirt 1. And does your employer have a Twitter handle as well, for those who don't know of the work? Yeah, it's policy underscore practice for us. Yeah, and we're at Better Foundation. Fantastic. Thank you again for all coming on the show this evening. If you like what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find Hereith on all the socials at Pod. You can go to our website, www.walespolitics.com. And thank you very much for supporting us with your ears. But if you would like to do so with your wallet, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Pod. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.